know, radical means getting to the root, getting to the root of the problem. And oftentimes we organize around symptomology, the symptoms of the root causes. So instead of looking at the structure of capitalism and how it brings or yields unemployment, poverty, how it yields through racist institutions, racial profiling, foreclosures, inadequate health care, miseducation, all of these issues that are vital to our communities, if you're not into radical politics, then you're looking for anti-violence programs, you're looking for workforce development programs, and we should. But if this machine over here is producing all of that, and you never look at the very fundamental structure of the system, you're going to have a problem. I'll give you another example. They said that the economic crisis was caused by deregulation, that they didn't have regulations on Wall Street. Well, that's correct to an extent. But even when Wall Street was regulated, black people were still catching we still were unemployed to the tune of 40 and 50% our youth and 10% in our communities. We still were on the bottom. We still had poverty. We still had far too much homelessness and unemployment, even when there's no economic crisis because it's not really deregulation. It's the very system of capitalism itself that's creating the problem. When you have the massive amount of wealth at the top, the 1% and the 99% not sharing in that wealth and income, then you're going to have major, major problems. Something's fundamentally wrong with that system. When you pay more taxes than some of the corporations, something's fundamentally wrong with that system. So when we say radical politics, we want to get to the root causes of our oppression. We want to get our people involved with politics that's going to be unafraid to speak truth to power, unafraid to say that I'm running in the electoral arena, we're going to talk black, we're going to talk radical, and still get elected and still deliver. And that's what we have been able to do. We should not be afraid of it. We have to redefine it for our people and raise their consciousness. Are you a radical politician? Absolutely. And I am proud to say I'm radical. I'm proud to say that we're getting to the root of the problem. I ran here in East New York, and people said, don't tell people you're a Black Panther. De-emphasize that. Go put on a shirt and tie. Go along to get along. And after you get in, you can say this and that. No, I was honest. And you know what? When I got in, we were able to renovate three parks, 17.5 million more than any other council member. I am the number one council member in building affordable housing, at least in Brooklyn, 6,000 units. Was able to bring in two new $80 million schools. Was able to have a black male initiative in CUNY, the City University of New York, 2.5 million over the last seven years. And I could sit here for the rest of this taping and talk about the accomplishments. And I did this being strong, being black, calling racism what it is, taking on the mayor, the speaker, the governor, 
And I did this bringing Robert Mugabe to City Hall, the president of Zimbabwe. I did this going to Cuba, going to Venezuela to learn more about governments and how socialism works. I did all of this going to even Gaza, to the Gaza Strip in the Middle East and bringing humanitarian aid for the Palestinian people because we cannot afraid to be who we are to be radicals, to be progressive, and the people will respond when you respond to their needs. When I was able to get people jobs and able to stop landlords for throwing people out, able to find shelter for people, when you meet the needs of the people, then the people will respect your politics. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Operation Powers Liberation Saturday. We thank you so much for joining us today. We have a fantastic program clearly lined up for you. Uh, that's why you're here. Uh, we're going to get right into it uh, soon. But before we get into it, I have to tell you all about Operation Power. Uh, Operation Power stands for Power stands for people organizing and working for empowerment and respect. I'll repeat that for all the newcomers. People organizing and working for empowerment and respect. Operation Power is a grassroots social justice organization founded by local community stakeholders. We talking about activists, organizers, and leaders that understand that the system as it is currently structured is destroying us and destroying our communities. This system, y'all, a capitalist system, one that promotes human greed over human need, one that promotes profit over people, needs to be dismantled. These local community organizers recognize the system needs to be radically changed and rebuilt. Operation Power was founded way back in the 1900s. We're talking about 1997. <laughs> That's a joke for y'all joke y'all we're in the 2000s but 1997 to do just that with the understanding that this systemic change it only happens locally our communities are the vehicle to erode the parasitic capitalist system brick by brick the systems in place in our local community infrastructure whether we're talking about the school board the community board the city council the state assembly these are all power pieces to control the destiny of our people in 1997, Operation Power launched a campaign. Some of you are very familiar with it. Charles Barron for city council. And this would lead to over 20 years of changes in the East New York community. We're talking about thousands of units of truly affordable housing. And when we say affordable, affordable to us. It fits our area median income, the AMI for our local community not the metropolitan area. About four $80 million schools, you go through the community, we have state-of-the-art schools built under this reign of Black radical leadership. Over $70 million have been allocated and secured for community parks. If you go throughout the five boroughs of New York City, you will not see parks like ours, parks that don't look like the, the 1900s, that look like modern, well-built, um, invested in parks. Millions of dollars have been secured for library upgrades and two, not just one, two comprehensive transformations of libraries. 
Um, and of course, you know, you see, you see the dashikis. We're talking about being stewards of true cultural actions in our community. That's Juneteenth celebrations, way before everybody else discovered Juneteenth. Uh, the San Sankofa Park reinterment, Kwanzaa programs, so many other actions, including our upcoming Black Inventors Youth Parade, which you'll hear about later. Thousands of jobs secured for local residents. And we talk about the political infrastructure completely transformed. The city council seat, the state assembly seat at the time, the, st the state committee person seat, we're talking about the male and female district leaders, the chair of the community board, the community board membership, uh, electing a local judge, county committee seats, block association presidents, tenant association presidents, and much, much more. This was all done by being Black radicals. We are Black radicals, which simply means we're getting to the root. We need to get to the root and not lose ourselves in the symptoms of this vicious system. We know revolution is the solution. Operation Power believes in Black power for Black people. Black power is still needed and still relevant. Operation Power believes the Black radical is the only ideological position we can afford to take, getting to the root of our problems for revolutionary change. Operation Power believes in community control for Black people, true autonomy. Operation Power believes that we need to move to a more socialist, egalitarian system, a communal system that doesn't suffocate, but liberates. With these beliefs, we take our collective action by being a part of this group. And once again, everyone, welcome to Liberation Saturday. Well, thank you very much. And it's always an honor to be with the people in our community, with the people across the city, across the country, and with my good friend, longtime from Dr. Cornell West, who I'll talk with a little later in the program. But just a political update. We want to uh, urge you that we are continuing to fight for our retirees. Those are people who retired and been out for years. And now Mayor Adams wants to privatize their health care with Aetna, a non-union company that took out policies on enslaved Africans for the European enslaver, admitted it, and refused to pay us reparations. And I see uh, Yedra Palmer, Palmer Pellman is on. She took out the first suits, lawsuits against Aetna and made it a big issue for us across the country. And she's on with us today. We welcome her. But how dare a so-called black mayor, he's probably more blue than black because he honors the police more than he does his own people and Wall Street more than he does his own people. But now he wants to privatize this healthcare for, and when we talk about retirees, we're talking about EMS workers. We're talking about school cross, crossing guards. We're talking about lunchroom attendants. We're talking about teachers. We're talking about the local, the municipal workers that get this city running. They were promised healthcare by the city for the rest of their lives, but they took lower wages when they were working. And they said, fine. Now here he wants to come and privatize it to Aetna. The city has been paying four or five hundred million a year for this Medicare gap, 20% after the 80% that the feds pay for 57 years. 
So here comes Mayor Adams now, wants to privatize it into Aetna and Medicare Advantage, which will have them paying premiums and co-payments and a lot of uh, their services and doctors will not be accepted, uh, will not accept Aetna and their healthcare delivery system. So we've been fighting it. I have a bill, uh, 1099, that calls for protecting the senior care that they receive now for the rest of their lives, and the city should pay for it. The five, 600 million is less than 1%, less than 1% of the $107 billion city budget. $107 billion city budget that has a $4 billion surplus they didn't anticipate and also has an $8 billion reserve budget. And you can't handle five, 600 million for our retirees. Henry uh, Carrito of DC 37 is a liar. He's lying to his rank and file, telling them that this would hurt their collective bargaining. Foolishness. They don't collective bargain for retired retirees that are presently retired. They're not in that. It's for active workers. Lie number two, Henry. Henry the liar and his partner, uh, Mulgrew, Mugrow, Mulgrew. What's his name on this? Michael Mulgrew from the UFT, liar. They said that it's going to cost the present workers more money if they pass my bill, which says that they should be able to keep their health care that they have. We've been paying it for 57 years and it never cost the present active workers a penny more. I spoke to the speaker and I told the speaker, how could that be true when last year we paid for it? Did workers pay more last year? The year before? The year before? No, all lies. And then the last lie is gonna hurt them in their collective bargaining uh, sessions. From the Taylor Law, says that you collective bargain for active workers, not for the retirees that are already retired. You don't represent them. So all of those lies is because some of the unions decided that they're gonna support the mayor so they, they can get something more in their collective bargaining agreements now. And you know the interesting, the ones that are most vocal are DC 37, Henry and the uh, PBA, the P Police Brutality Association, the PBA, and the UFT. Those are the most vocal ones who settled their stuff with the mayor, and I believe they cut a deal. We'll, we'll mess up the retirees. If you let me exploit the retirees, then I'll take care of your contracts now. They cut a deal, and it didn't have to happen because they can take care of both without pitting the active workers against the retirees. We're going to win because we won in court. We were able to win in court. A judge ruled in our favor saying that the city has to allow for the retirees to keep their senior care, their traditional Medicare, and not force them into Aetna, which my bill says the same thing. So now I want to codify it in law. Call your council members, say, turn in your 1099, support 1099. That's the number of my bill that protects our workers. That is our political update. We have 35 former union 
leaders who supported my bill saying it was the right thing. Even though Henry and Mike lied, they said it was the right thing. We have the AARP, the most known uh, senior agency, supports the bill. 17 council members support the bill. I said that 35 former, my boss here, she, she makes sure I'm, I'm right on. I said the 35 uh, former labor leaders support the bill. So we gain the momentum, call up the council member in your area, call up the speaker and say, support Barron's 1199 bill. It is for our retirees. I thank you. You want to add anything? No, you got it all. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much. We'll be co-hosting, co-monitoring this part of the program, but we're very excited to have a very special brother to Inez and I, beyond all of this political stuff. This is my friend. This is my friend uh, over, what, 40, 50 years. Uh, we met at the House of the Lord Church. I was then uh, Reverend Daughtry's Chief of Staff, Reverend Herbert Daughtry's Chief of Staff, and we had an organization called the African People's Christian organization, APCO. And we had a Timbuktu Learning Center, and we would have guests come in, Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, and Dr. Cornell West. Uh, we had Dr. Adelaide Sanford. Uh, she came in on uh, many, many occasions. Dr. Paulette Pierce was also a dynamic uh, professor and got down with us. So we, we had just about everybody you could think of come by. But I remember Cornell's first book, he did a series in, in one of his one of his first books. He did a, a series with us called, uh, his book was called Prophecy Deliverance, an Afro-American Revolutionary Christianity. And he did that with us. And the next thing we know, he was gone. He was famous all over the world, all over the... I said, oh, man, he ain't never going to talk to us again. His head got to be bigger than the globe by now. But not this, brother. This is a humble, humble uh, brother who I love dearly, appreciate so much, and we're just so honored to have him with us. Uh, the way it's going to go, uh, Cornell and I are going to have a little conversation, mostly him talking. I might throw in a question here and there, and then we'll let him make any uh, statement he'd like to make after that. Then Inez is going to moderate a respondent's part where we have some people an operation power that's going to respond and they might want to ask a few questions and then we're going to open it up uh, put your questions in the chat and we're going to pull questions from the chat to um, uh, open it up to everybody so that's how it's going to go so dr west it's always an honor to have you uh, on with us and uh, i want to start off but of course, you start off any way you want, but make sure that we address some of the questions. I said, you know, I'm not going to interview him like I saw with, with Stephen A. and in that interview and with uh, uh, Anderson Cooper, CNN. They did a little interview, asking the typical questions, and, and I've seen you, and you just blew them all away. But for those who may watch those shows or hear those things, so I wanted to start off with uh, saying that um, we in Operation Power, and in terms of presidential politics, we're not delusionary into thinking, you know, who's going to win the presidency. You know, if we were just about 
winning, then I would just go to Atlantic City and, and gamble and hope I could win something and just take a gamble. Or I would bet on the, the fast, the best horse that had the best odds and just say, let me go with that horse because that's the favorite. No, we're about justice. We're about truth. And we're about uh, speaking truth to, to power. So Dr. West, just to settle all of the uh, stuff about, you know, if you run, that's going to hurt Biden. Like he's our big friend that we don't want to hurt. That's going to hurt Biden. And that's going to cause Trump to win. So we could start off with that. But, you know, before you get to that, you can say anything you'd like for your opening. Brothers and sisters, I present to you my good friend and a presidential candidate for the presidency of here in the United States under the Green Party uh, line, Dr. Cornell West. My dear brother and my dear sister, what a blessing for me to be here. I don't have a language to describe both the joy and inspiration that Inez and Charles Barron have given to me for 44 years and counting. <laughs> the unprecedented couple in modern history, American history, Black history, Brooklyn history, an exemplar of not just unbelievable love, but integrity, honesty, decency, never sold out, never gave in, never gave up, kept loving the people no matter what. That kind of consistency is a beautiful thing. And when our souls look back and wonders how we got over, <laughs> that was Daltrey, 415. And Atlantic Avenue, 5961991. I, <laughs> I was 28 years old. Yeah. I show up on those Wednesdays wow. and you were always there. And that's always there. Tupac Shakur was on the front front that's row right. with the Fina. was a member of the church then. That's we didn't right. know Tupac, the genius that he was going to be, was right there, 10 years old, talking about what? Talking about Garvey. Garvey's having the major problem with black people is disorganization and disrespect. Here come Operation Power, people mm -hmm. organized, working for empowerment and respect. Stokely Carmichael, the challenge facing black folk, disorganization, not enough respect for each other. Here come Operation Power. Ooh, what is it about Inez and Charles? <laughs> that kind of commitment and conviction, that's a real thing. When the history is written of this particular historical moment, and I know Sister Brenda understands what I'm talking about. I know Brother Quran understands what I'm talking about. When the history is written and the truth is told, who held up the bloodstained banner with a smile, but also tears organizing everyday people against the grain with all of the organized greed at the top and the hatred coming at Black people, not just from the police, but from a variety of different sources, who was still standing? in New York, in Brooklyn, Inez and Charles and their organization and some others too, but oh Lord, a whole lot of folk dropped out, brother. Mm. I'm telling you, I'm a, you know, I'm trying to be a Christian, so I try to love it. <laughs> I, 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 I try to tell the truth too, a whole lot That's of folk right. dropped out. I'm telling you, they shifted gears real yeah. fast, didn't they? Yeah. They got, they got some status, they got some spectacle, they got mm. a little access to power. They just shifted gears. No, not Inez and Charles. Mm -mm. 
And that has everything to do, I think, with the fact that you all always did two things. You kept your eye on moral and spiritual greatness. Mm -hmm. And somewhere we read, he or she is greatest among us will be our servants. We'll serve the people. That's right. We'll love the people. We'll speak truth, not just to power, but speak truth to the people. That's right. Which also means you got to speak it to yourself. That's right. And the other side was you kept loving the folk. And when you love right. folk, you respect, you protect, but you also correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you got to cut against the grain, just like grandmama loved us. That's right. She didn't just protect us. She didn't just respect us. Sometimes with some uh, instrumentalities, she corrected. <laughs> Sometimes with a little loving weaponry, she corrected us. Why? Because we need guidance. All of us need counsel. And, and what I learned from you both because there's so much of Inez and Charles inside of me. I carry it with me every day. There's Daltrey inside of me. There's Malcolm X inside of me. There's Garvey inside of me. A. Philip Randolph inside of me. Ida B. Wells inside Harriet Tubman, but also Irene Clifton West, my mama and my dad. So when it comes to politics, running for president, it's just bearing witness to the greatness of a people in that context. So call for abolition of poverty, abolition of homelessness, living wage across the board, massive redistribution of wealth downward, dismantling the American empire, 800 military units around the world in 100 countries in order to be the empire that dominates every corner of the globe. No, we just need to be a decent, dignified nation among nations that are tied to an empowerment of poor and working people around the world. Those, the great France were known called the wretched of the earth. So I'm anti-imperialist. That's right. Strong critic of predatory capitalism. But I begin with the critique, witness, and resilience against white supremacy. Male supremacy, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very much so. Any ideology that loses sight of the humanity of people. Absolutely. But, but in the end, it's really a matter of holding up the bloodstained banner of a great tradition of a grand and great people. And it, that bearing witness so that people can see in you what has been put in you that can touch lives so that the younger generation can build on the best of what we tried to do. And that's Operation Power, you see, good God Almighty, the best Operation Power, electoral politics and revolutionary politics, but also in spirit. Also in spirit. Why? Because arrogance and ignorance is promiscuous. It will lie with anybody of any color, of any gender, any nation, and any sexual orientation. Just like integrity and honesty can be promiscuous too. It can be found, anybody, any gender, any nation, that spirit. And we African peoples have always started with the spirit. Wonderful video when he talked about being afraid. Martin Luther King used to say, I'd rather be dead than afraid. Mm -hmm. 
Mary Ellen Pleasant, the black woman who was the godmother of human rights in California, who gave the white brother John Brown $600,000 in 1856 for his movement. Mm. She married a robber baron. He died, she got the money. Black sister, San Francisco. What did she used to say in her speeches? I'd rather be a corpse than a coward. Mm -hmm. What separates Inez and Charles is that they had courage. So they pushed fear back. And when you push fear back, you open up possibility. And the only thing that breaks the back of fear is love. That's the only thing that can sustain you. It's not just justice. Any justice that's only justice soon degenerates into something less than justice. If you don't love the people, justice is just a career move. Hmm. It's just a language to be talked about for you to seize the next opportunity. You're not really caring for the people. So the justice is what love looks like in public, but they ain't the same thing. Hmm. Without the love, you'll never be a justice seeker for a long time. You run out of gas. And that's why the love warriorship is so crucial. And that's why you, we have to provide examples, especially for our young people, of what our great tradition at its best can look like if we're willing to meet that challenge. All of us fall short. We try again, fail again, fail better. That's what it is to be human. Nobody can ever be what they aspire to be, but we know what the standards are. And we live in a world and we live in a society with so much hatred, so much greed, so much envy, so much fear, so much sense of being intimidated, afraid, takes over. And it's a beautiful thing to see Baron Couple exemplifying this integrity and honesty and courage to push back the fear and the love. So in many ways, you know, this, this campaign is uh, what you would call barren informed and barren driven. <laughs> <Let me laughs> what you all there. have been able to do in <laughs> Let me ask you this. Now, let me, let, me, let me see how we could address this. First of all, I want to do some international stuff, too. I want you to get a chance to explain Absolutely. French, France out of Africa and Niger or Niger, some Absolutely. people call it, and that relationship there particularly on the continent of Africa and the drones that are bases that are in Niger that they're not talking about because they don't want to mess with America, but they want the French out and they should be out. So the international thing, but before we go internationally, um, address, I think you first was going to do the People's Progressive Party and then it moved to the Green Party and then address the criticism uh, you're going to take votes away from Biden and Trump's going to Oh, right, right, right. You know, and, and, and it did begin, the People's Party was kind enough to ask me uh, to run. And I thought about it and prayed on it and so forth. Most of my family was against it because, you know, I already live under death threats. You know what I mean? I've mm. had people show up with guns to my wife's head. And mm -hmm. People shot guns in my driveway and so forth. So you, so you figure that's already the case. Now that's going to escalate, you know, once you run for president. So you can imagine the loved ones say, no, no, this is not right. I said, but dang, I just think I could feel a calling to bear witness at this particular level. Uh, uh, and it was the People's Party that, 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 that offered it to me. 
then when I had a long talk with them, I find I found out that they had access to one state, and that was even tenuous. I said, "Damn, I don't want to just make this thing symbolic." And so, Brother Chris Hedges made the contact and said, "Oh, you know, the Green Party already got eighteen. We can have thirty-two at the end of December. We can have forty-eight by the election time." I said, "Oh, maybe I should." reconsider and I shifted to the Green Party and I'm glad I did because our ballot access now is really, really escalated in a very, very powerful way. And to keep in mind, of course, 40% of our fellow citizens don't vote at all. And almost one out of two of black folk don't vote at all. And so therefore part of the aim is to go for those folk who've completely given up. Then you got Two thirds of those who've ever voted for the Green Party have never and would never vote for Democrats or Republicans. They're just consistently outside of the two-party system. So the two-party system does impede democracy in the sense that all of the differences and all of the perspectives have to go through those two parties, both of those parties tied to Wall Street, tied to the Pentagon, tied to corporate interests. And so when people say, well, you're taking votes from Biden, on the one hand, you say, well, no, empirically, that's not the case. The vast majority wouldn't vote at all or would never, ever, ever, ever vote for a Democrat. But secondly, and this is the thing which is for me a uh, matter of respect and disrespect, you see this idea that the Democratic Party is entitled to black people's votes or mm. like we own some kind of plantation or something, they own us. And if we don't do it, we're violating their entitlement to us. Hey, mm -mm. no, no, I've always been a Jesus loving free black man. I'm mm -hmm. not on anybody's plantation. It could be Harvard, it could be Princeton, it could be Union Seminary, it could be whatever plant. I ain't on nobody's plantation. Mm -mm. I think for myself, I raise my voice. That's the anthem of black people lift every what? Lift every voice. It ain't lift every echo. Mm. We're just gonna be an echo of a silo. Then we ain't gonna have no tradition. Coltrane found his voice. He wasn't no echo. He was for a while Johnny Hodges of Duke Ellington's band. Monk and others and Miles told him, quit imitating Johnny Hodges' train. You gotta find your voice. Ah, they were told the same thing. Voice is different than echo. We not a people of echoes. You're people of voices. You don't find your voice unless you find out who you really are and dig deep in the dark corners of your own soul and wrestle with your own wounds and bruises and scars mm. and transfigure it into something distinctly you. Your voice is like your fingerprint. It's just you. Erica Badu ain't got to sound like Aretha to touch our souls. She sound like she grew up in Dallas and doing her thing. And Aretha, born in Memphis, father born in Mississippi, Reverend C.L. Franklin, she doing her thing. They still voices in our tradition, but they different voices. Mm -hmm. Same tradition, great tradition. Curtis Mayfield, the same thing. Finding your voice. We learn from our musicians again. And so when they ask me on, on, on you know, mainstream news, well, oh, oh you, you're just a spoiler. Now I'm dealing with a rotten system, so you can't spoil it too much. <laughs> I'm concerned about the rot in the system. I'm concerned about the roots. That's what black radical politics is from the barren 
insight and legacy. Get at the roots. The Black Panther Party taught us that. Right. Paul Robeson taught us that. The boys taught us that. Claudia Jones taught us that. Mary Baraka taught us that. Those are the voices. John Henry Clark, who I was blessed to sit at his feet, he taught us that. And we ain't got to Malcolm yet. And these, again, are not just isolated individuals. Mm -hmm. These are waves in the great ocean of the tradition of our great people. That's what, what we're talking about. What are you going to say to people that say, well, Dr. West, you can't win. So winning is in the objective because you're not going to be the president. This is what some people are saying. So why are you running? And what is winning? How are you defining winning? Yes, well, first thing I would say is, is that history is incomplete, unfinished, open-ended, and unpredictable. That's right. We don't know what's going to happen in real time. Mm -hmm. Biden may decide, I really am too old. Drop out. Democrats in trouble. Trump may end up in jail. <laughs> you don't know. That's right. Hard to say. So I never tried to impose any kind of foreclosure on the God that I serve. Now, I'm not naive. I'm not saying that I know by guarantee that I can win, but I'm not ruling it out all right. at all. But at the same time, I recognize that witnessing has always been at the center, not just winning. Harriet Tubman won by her witness, but they couldn't break the back of barbaric white supremacist slavery until you had a civil war. She became a lieutenant in it. But she had already won by going back 19 times in the belly of the beast based on her love for those enslaved Africans. And what did she say when she got to the North? I would have saved more if they had known they were slaves. Wow. Ooh, Harriet, Harriet. Good God. Y'all started out with Wake Up Everybody with Teddy Bear, Theodore <laughs> Pendergrass, coming out of the Philly Sound. Wake up. Whoa, we got a lot of folks that don't even realize how enslaved their minds and spirits really are, how in, the, in bondage they really are. I was so glad to see the report, Sister Brenda, on the, the uh, political prisoners. And so one of the first things I would do if I get to the White House is I would pardon Mumi Abu-Jamal. I would All pardon right, Peltier. I would pardon Julian Assange. I would pardon Brother Snowden. I would pardon eight Brett Brown, known as Iman El-Hameen in Arizona. We just did a pamphlet just two years ago. I wrote the introduction, wrote, wrote the foreword to it, you see. I would... Welcome back, Sister Shakur from Cuba, if she wants to come. Right. That's the use of power to ensure that innocent folk who loved us and sacrificed for us yeah. are not just not forgotten, mm -hmm. but they are treated in the way they ought to be treated. But it's not just them. There's a whole lot of folk who are incarcerated, who are innocent. Mm -hmm. The names are not known. I was just in Mississippi just last week with Brother Malik Shabazz and Brother Trent Wright. Y'all know about the two brothers, Brother Parker and Brother Jenkins, right. with the police brutality, with the police brutality, with the gun going through the tongue and the neck. Mm. For the first time in the history of Mississippi, the goon squad has been caught, and they say 
they, they, they've given a guilty plea. First time in the history of Mississippi, police have a guilty plea. Now we're putting pressure on them to make sure they get the, 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 the right sentencing. Oh, right. But is that, those are the realities that, that, that we're talking about. And that's why uh, the end of mass incarceration, the uh, uh, not just community oversight, but the criminalizing of any kind of police action that brutalizes black people or anybody else. Enforce, mm. shatter the culture of silence in the police department. And we know it cuts across color. So now we know the police of the goon squad in Mississippi themselves are black policemen. And there's goon squads in every new police department right. in the cities around this country and empire. So we know that you're, you're solid on anti-capitalism. You're solid on anti-imperialism. You're solid on reparations, always have been. You're solid on free and out political prisoners, which I think is extremely important. Now the challenge sometimes is dealing with the Democratic Party and its yes, yes. leadership, particularly the Black leadership in the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. That is a very, very, uh, we, we challenged right here in East New York, it is not anybody white that challenges us, but it's the who we consider puppets of colonial capitalism like Hakeem Jeffries and um, puppets of colonial capitalism that really are the top Black leadership in New York State. You know, New York State has a bunch of black leaders, black mayor, you know, black head of the assembly, head of the Senate and all of that. So how do you address the neo-colonial black puppets of the Democratic Party? That's one, deal with that. And then the second one, what's up with uh, your boy Bernie Sanders and, and Ocasio? How do they go straight to Biden before even talking to their 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 community and seeing what they can get from Biden. They just went straight to Biden. Absolutely. No, it is so true, though, brother. You know, the, the major shift from the 60s was that uh, so many of our great Black leaders came out of movements that had organic connections to the people. Mm. Once it shifted into the political system, people began to think that Black leadership resided primarily in the political sphere. Mm. Politicians could easily become incorporated and absorbed within the power machine of the parties. They lost organic relations with everyday Black folk on the ground. And the litmus test of Black progress more and more became how many Black faces are in high places rather than keeping track of the way in which the systems are trying to crush our people based on a commitment to the least of these, because I'm still tied to Matthew 25. What you do unto me, you do unto the least of these. Mm -hmm. Who are the least of these Jesus is talking about? Prisoners, those in the hoods, barrios, reservations, poor, the least of these. That got completely pushed aside. Mm -hmm. And it became a matter of primarily black elite, black middle-class status. And there's no doubt, for example, this is one of the most painful truths that we don't even like to talk about, that if the young black brothers and sisters who were going to, to prison were the children of the black middle class and the black upper class, the Jack and Jill brothers and sisters, 
if they were going to jail at the same level of intensity as Precious Jamal and Letitia in the hood, we'd have them kind of black leadership. Mm. Because the class issue set in so deep that our black middle class leaders turned their back and became more and more indifferent to the plight of the least of these. Mm. And it was a rebellion of the black poor and working classes in the 60s that opened the door for the creation of the black middle class. But once they got in there, too many, not all, not all, but too many became in the language of the Negro national anthem, drunk with mm. the wine of the world, mm. intoxicated with the felicities of bourgeois existence, so mm. glad to circulate mm -hmm. in the higher echelons of status and position and power. Mm -hmm. That's what Hakim and them are about. Well, wait a minute. Will they you say that one more time? Could, could, could you just say the felicities of uh, bourgeois Say that again. <laughs> Intoxicated with the felicities of bourgeois existence. <laughs> Now, see, I learned in Shiloh Baptist Church, if the kingdom of God is within me, then everywhere I go, I ought to leave a little heaven behind. That ain't got nothing to do with no bourgeois existence and felicities of middle-class life. That says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and these other things will be given to you. You keep your eyes on the prize. Of course, we all need money. Of course, we all need decent housing. We, of course, we all need some safety and have a sense of being being able to take care of our loved ones and so on. But when it becomes idolatrous, then you get used. And what has happened is we've got too many black leaders on the gravy train rather than the love train. Mm. Or another way of putting it is, is they've become so well adjusted to the unjust status quo that they actually believe that black progress is about their status and their position rather than being a vehicle and a vessel mm. and a conduit of mm. a great tradition that produced them. That's the saddest thing. They wouldn't even exist without the tradition that produced them. That's right. And that tradition comes from the people. Why would we turn our back on the standards turn our back on the life force and then end up locked in a rotten system and we become the black faces of that system. Got it. Bernie you see what Sanders, I mean? Bernie Sanders and... No, no, yeah, yeah, no, with Bernie and AOC, I mean, you basically have their folk who have viewed themselves as being over against the Democratic Party. Brother Bernie ran twice. I supported him twice, even though he wasn't strong on reparations. He certainly wasn't strong on the Palestinian struggle for me. We right. used to fight about that all the time. Yeah. He wasn't strong on Africom in Africa. He wasn't strong on the on, on the recolonization of Africa and so forth. That's right. But he's strong on Wall Street. But, you know, he hit his notes. You know what I mean? Just hitting his notes. You know what I mean? It's like playing the saxophone, he stayed in C, asking for B flat, asking for F sharp, he ain't gonna hit it. No, he just stayed right in C, mm, hitting those notes, but the notes he hit in the Wall Street, Wall Street Greek, Wall Street Greek, Wall, well, 
want a little flat notes. We want some, we want some notes that blur. No, Bernie ain't gonna provide that. That's all right. That's Bernie. That's who he is. But it's clear that his opposition to the Democratic Party and his refusal to acknowledge that the corporate wing of his party is at the center and the core of his party. And he's window dressing. AOC is the same way. It's window dressing. You trot them out every four years and act as if the Democratic Party has been fundamentally concerned about poor people, fundamentally concerned about working people. No, not at all. They have been colonized by Wall Street and the Pentagon. There's bipartisan support of expansion of the military. There's bipartisan support of Cop City. We got to be in solidarity with our 61 and six more were arrested today. Mm -hmm. Standing up against Cop City and now they domestic terrorists. Right. The same tell them real quick. The Ku Klux real Klan. quick, Dr. How West. Sick can it get? Real quick, tell them what Cop City is in, in Atlanta. Absolutely. Cop City is a $90 million project to provide military education for police so they re so they intensely even more militarize the police than the police are already militarized. And it's international. That's they right. They got connections to Israel. They got connections to Egypt. They got right. connections to police all around the world. And what is this in the name? It is to repress and contain precious young black folk on chocolate sides of town. That's right. And protect and serve the well-to-do on vanilla sides of town. That's right. And it's supported by a black mayor and black members of the city council in Atlanta. All members of the Democratic Party. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we just have to be honest. And again, you know, you, you, you try to be loving about this. You know, about, I don't know, Brother Hakeem. I know his cousin, Leonard Jeffrey. Uh, uh, me and Brother Leonard, you know, we've been in context together for 50 years. You know what I mean? All hmm. different debates and things. But I love that, Brother. He loves me, even though we might disagree on some things. But his cousin, Hakeem, is in a position of power. And when he goes to Israel and comes back and tells everybody this is a paradise-like condition, I said, did you see what's happening with the Palestinians? Did you see what's happening with the poor Jews? Because they got classes in Israel. And they got poor Jews. Did you see what's happening with the Ethiopian Jews? Come on, brother. Are you that bought off? Are you that narrow and myopic in your worldview? that you can go to an apartheid state and talk about how wonderful the top is and not say a mumbling word about those at the bottom? Please. Well, how about Mayor Adams who just took a picture with Benjamin Netanyahu and said that Tel Aviv, we need to be like Tel Aviv here in New York and then went on to say how the, the migrants, immigrants are destroying New York City. Destroying New York City and saying that, that, that Israel, where he wants to live. Yeah. If he had, a, I mean, people got a right to live where they want to live. Don't get me wrong. But good God almighty, South African apartheid, Israeli apartheid, American apartheid until Fannie Lou Hamer and the others broke the back of it in the 60s. You can't say a mumbling word about the folk who are subjugated there? Please. That's a level of being being so well adjusted to forms of oppression 
that is really mind-boggling. And we have to be honest about it. And most importantly, what you all have always done, you got to speak the truth. That's right. I give you another example of that. My dear brother Al Sharpton, who I love very deeply, you know, we've been struggling with Sharpton for 45 years. We've seen him go through all kinds of changes. You know what I mean? I know. All kind of transformation. In the early 90s, he was so close to me as a little Farrakhan. I love my brother Minister too. Then he shifts and he's in the King legacy and then the Jesse Jackson legacy, then the Wall Street Project. I said, Sharpton, brother, you got more lives than 13 cats and you're still going. God bless you and be with you. But he stands up at the uh, at the funeral of Brother Tyree in Memphis. And remember, he says, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the mountaintop and he saw the promised land. And I'm going to tell you what he saw. Hmm. I said, Brother Al, what did he see? What did he see? He saw Kamala Harris and Barack Obama. Hmm. I said, Brother Al, quit lying. You know that's not what Martin <laughs> saw. And he said, well, Brother West, what did he see? I don't know what he saw, but he ain't seen that goddamn. <laughs> I said, my hunch is what he saw was he saw new pharaohs mm. in different colors because he comes from a tradition of not peacocks walking around strutting Peacock. they strut because they can't fly. He comes from a people of eagles and eagles fly high with nobility and they keep track of those below. He saw the oppressed peoples being used by pharaohs of different colors oh. and he's in solidarity with the oppressed so you might have a black mayor mm. always wonderful because that's still a blow against white supremacy i agree with that i mean i i, I i'm not naive in terms of the struggles that black people have to go through See, if the police jumped on mayor eric i'm still going to oppose the police it's just that the very logic that he's supporting is coming to his house mm. rather than Jamal's house. Mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas is the same way. If police jump on Clarence. I'm still against white supremacy. I don't want Clarence to get beat down by white supremacist police the way Rodney King did, but he ain't take a he didn't take a stand against it when it when it was against Jamal. Mm. Y'all be shamed. Eric, y'all be shamed. Hakeem, y'all be shamed in light of the tradition I come from. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? So it's just a matter of being honest about the greatness of the tradition and the peoples and then saying, what are we to do? How do we raise our go. voices? What kind of courage can we exemplify? Not self-righteousness, not uh, uh, arrogance. We all are cracked vessels. We all can learn from one another, but at the same time, you know, when folk are selling their souls for a mess of pottage, you got that talent like it is. Let me ask you a few other questions. One, at any point, did you support Biden for anything against Trump? I did. I supported Biden the first that. time because I thought he would be a part of an anti-fascist coalition. And I thought that he would be able to speak to the needs of poor and working people as a way of fighting off the fascists. And after the two and a half or three years, especially when he allowed child poverty uh, um, a bill to expire because you remember he right. cut child poverty 50 percent right. i said oh wow see i'm an abolitionist when it comes to poverty it's almost by accident but he did but then he let it go and it, the law expired child poverty went right back up again so now it's 39 percent black kids mm. which is a, it's a crime against humanity to have 39 percent of our precious children living in poverty and richest nation in the world but at that at, but at that particular moment 
I thought it was important to be part of an anti-fascist coalition mm-hmm. against Trump, you see. And, uh, and, and, and now I see very closely that you can't fight fascism with a milquetoast, shallow, hollow neoliberalism that has its own fascist dimensions. Because mm-hmm. mass incarceration has its own fascist dimensions. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Now, what the about militarism uh, of dropped on innocent people in parts right. of the world has its fascist dimensions? Absolutely. In your piece with Obama, uh, isn't it true that Obama uh, deported? They only almost call them the, the commander in deportation. Deported a lot of uh, more folk than Trump and anybody else. And Obama, the increase in the AFRICOM on the continent of Africa went from five, six, seven, eight nations to almost 50 nations uh, under Obama. And Obama also uh, cut a deal with Israel. Instead of getting the three point some odd billion a year, they got a $30 billion deal for arms before Obama left. So break down Obama's contradiction. Absolutely. And you know, those were the days though, brother, that. Uh... Yeah, I remember you and I were blessed to go to Indiana and a few other places. You yes, remember that? Yes, oh, yes. Those are precious memories, brother. Yes, yes. Very precious memories. You, you had a leadership group. Yes. What was it like that? Dynamics of leadership. That's that's what it was. That's what it was. We had a good time. Yes, but, we did. You know, we, we, we found ourselves standing relatively alone, which is to say not with a whole lot of people. There's always <laughs> some folk. There's always some folk with you. But not too many folk, because Obama was, you know, he's the best thing since sliced bread <laughs> at that time. And all we were saying was, dang, we just noticed that all of these Wall Street gangsters involved in insider trading and market manipulation and fraudulent activities and predatory lending, not one went to jail. Mm. But, but brothers and sisters get caught with a crack bag, go straight to jail. Sometimes they go to jail without a crack bag. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the key sweat moment. Something, something just ain't right. <laughs> right. We had to point that out mm-hmm. over and over again. And the same was true with the drones dropped. Bush dropped 46 drones. I called him a war criminal because he killed innocent people. Obama dropped 549. Mm-hmm. Six wars going at the same time, but wins a peace prize. Mm-hmm. Key sweat moment. Something, something just ain't right. Mm-hmm. Something hypocritical about this. And yet, you know, the popularity was there. Why? Because again, it's it's a spiritual and a moral question. When you have a black face at the head of the most powerful empire in the history of the world, militarily, a lot of black folk want to identify with that success. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, success without moral and spiritual greatness is gangster life. Mm. If you concern only with who was the richest man in New York in February 1965, and you can't say a mumbling word about Malcolm X assassinated that month, who was not the richest man financially, Mm. then you're missing out on the greatness of a people and a tradition. So success, financial, political, that's not used to serve the people is detached from greatness. And we've ended up 
telling a whole younger generation the end and aim of life is to be successful. Not great. Mm. It's mm. all about money, status, how many material toys you got, what kind of celebrity status you have. And that's empty, that's shallow from our tradition at its best. You see. Garvey was not successful. He was deported because his love for black people was so intense that it was a threat to the powers that be and the FBI of that day had to get rid of him, mm. imprison him, trumped up charges and so forth. So that, that, that juxtaposition of Obama, when I talked to Obama, because you know I did over, six, uh, over 65 events for him for free, but I was a critical supporter of it. And I said, brother, I said, my challenge to you is always going to be, what is your relation to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer? Because the minute you win, if you bring in all of these pro-Wall Street, these pro-war folk, I'm going to be your major critic. And that's exactly what I tried to do for uh, for eight years. And of course, got deeply in trouble. And I would tell black folk all, over and over again, I don't love black people for black people to love me back. This ain't no quid pro quo transactional thing. I love black people because they're worthy of being loved. Period. <laughs> no battle what. But what does that include? Protect, respect, correct. That's right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, while we are in, in Africa, if you could break down, no, before we get to Africa, let me let me stay here for a minute since we're talking about domestic stuff and Obama and all of that. Gentrification. You know, one of the things that I, I want you to discuss, how is it that in 1920s, we had Tulsa, we had Rosewood. I mean, we actually owned the means of production in those, those places. We owned the land, the institutions, everything. Of course, the racists came and tore it all up and killed people and bombed stuff. But how do we get in the 21st century? And I consider us domestic colonies under a colonial capitalist system and we own nothing and uh you know washington dc is no longer chocolate city it's marshmallow city and atlanta mm -hmm. is is you know half white now what happened yeah yeah no that's a uh, it's a powerful question i was born in tulsa oklahoma oh wow same hospital as uh, the wilson brothers or the gap band you know Hmm. That gap stands for Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. That's block. That's Black Wall Street. Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. The Moton Hospital is right there across the street, and so that's where Charlie and and, and Robert and them come from. Hmm. And uh, at that time, you know, there was an attempt to make Oklahoma an all-black state uh, in the early part of the 20th century. That's right. Black and red state. A brother named Chief Sam. Chief Sam was one of the great black freedom fighters. When Garvey actually came to the United States, he wanted to meet Booker T. Washington and Chief Sam. Oh. Chief Sam actually ended up taking black oh. folk from Oklahoma to, to yeah. Africa, to West Africa. Uh, but, but there were more black municipalities, there were more black towns, there were more black teachers, there were more black colleges and black institutions than any other state. That's Oklahoma. Ralph, right. Ralph Ellison, the great novelist, Oklahoma City. John Hope Franklin, Oklahoma, Tulsa. Charlie Christ, jazz guitar, we can go on and on. Say, Oklahoma got a long, rich history, even though it's been taken over by right-wing folk in the last 50 years. Oral Roberts and oil just completely took it over. Mm -hmm. 
But I say that because at that time, you see institution building, the way you have operation power, we're going to create an institution, Timbuktu Learning Center, mm -hmm. that will transmit the stories and visions and sensibilities and feelings and love and connections and bonds of trust and our churches and our mosques and our synagogues among the black Jews and so forth. And so that was that had a priority at that time. But what happened was on the one end there was the attack. People talk about the great migration of black folk leaving the South, but they don't talk too much about the land dispossession Mm -hmm. that took place as they left. Mm. I just met with the black farmers just two days ago. Mm -hmm. Brother Lawrence Lucas and Brother Michael Stovall. In fact, Michael mm -hmm. Stovall went with me to Mississippi. He came over from Alabama. He's been leading the black farmers movement for a long time. And the shift from 15 million acres controlled down to just one and a half. Mm. Mm. That's, 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 that, that's also gentrification. Mm -hmm. but, but you got to realize America as a project is a project of gentrification, a mm -hmm. land grab and a power grab of indigenous people's land and their bodies. The Mexican War, where well, California used to be Mexico, Texas used to be Mexico, Arizona used to be Mexico, and you know New Mexico used to be old <laughs> Mexico. Yeah. How did they get that? War, mm. land grab, power grab. Now you got real estate developers, which is nothing but just capitalism on steroids, vis-a-vis -vis land, coming in, moving precious working class, poor black and brown and others out for them to make their profits with the rents going up. And so we have to be very honest about these forces that are impinging upon our destinies and on our lives. And then we have to do a counter. When you and I were together, brother, remember we walked all around the community and you showed me all of these oh, yeah. different housing and so it was blowing my mind. Cause I mean, I read about it. Mm -hmm. I'm always reading on y'all, you know, you know how that is. <laughs> if I can't give you a hug in person, at least I can read about it. <laughs> but we got a chance to spend that time and, you, and we talked with the brothers and sisters right there who lived there and so forth. I said, Charles, I don't know how under God's heaven you pull this thing off. <laughs> you going against some powerful land grabbing, power grabbing, gentrifying forces, but we have always been countervailing forces against greed and hatred. That's right. what our movement of love and justice is all That's about. Right. That's right. Cutting against the grain of the organized hatred and the institutionalized greed. But you That's first right. have to tell the truth about it then you move That's to action. Right. That's right. What, am, what I want to do now is uh, I still want us to do a little international piece, you know, on Africa sure. and France. But before we do that, I want to get your opinion of some of the moves that Operation Power is making now and some of the groups we're working closely with. Uh, one group is the African People's Socialist Party, Omali Yeshatela and, yeah. and the group and how the COINTEL program that never died, this always was alive, and That's the right. Uhuru Three, the attack government, right. would you support them, number one? And number two, I think he's on with us, Khalid Rahim and I and Namdi Lumumba, we are working on a 
National Black Radical Convention. We had one last year. It was a little, little small thing we just did amongst ourselves. But this year, it's going to be in Baltimore on the 27th, 28th, and 29th. We'd love for you to come by Zoom or any way you can to address this National Black Radical Convention. Uh, Brother Khalid Rahim is on this thing now. And uh, we want you to, you know, come some kind of way. One of those days if you could just pipe in and we can say something. But these is are that, the is, is that September though, brother? Uh October. Oh, that's October. Okay. okay. October twenty no, seventh, twenty eighth, and twenty ninth. Oh, twenty eighth, twenty. I'll be in LA, but I, you you count me in. All right. That's count good. Me in. And then what's skip. your position? What's your position with the Uhuru three? The Oh, oh, I'm in strong solidarity. I was just on MSNBC just uh, day for yesterday with Brother Ari. And I was talking about the Uhuru 3 and talking about Brother Amali and the way in which the FBI has been weaponized against them to try to crush uh, dissenting voices and how it's very important. I was talking about the Pendleton too. I was talking about them. I was talking about 61 who have been uh, 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 criminalized and charged or at least uh, Trying to shut down Cop City, but no, I think that uh, and Brother O'Malley, you know, he has been a long distance running man coming mm. out of Florida, you know, St. Petersburg. He's been a long distance runner. I, I don't know him, you know, I've never met him or anything. We've probably been in some 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 gatherings together, but he's but he's got a record of profound commitment to the struggle for mm. black people's respect, black people's. A dignity of black people gaining access to resources and i'm very much in solidarity with beautiful beautiful uh, you know what i want you to do now then i'm gonna pass it over to inez so that the respondents can have their part but let's go back to africa dr osajifo kwame nkrumah um, and i believe this wholeheartedly that the liberation of african people in the diaspora and on the continent of africa central to that is the unification and liberation of Africa under socialism, scientific socialism. I believe that, that, you know, once we, you know, cause one of the paradoxes of Africa is that it's the richest continent in the world with the poorest people. Yeah. And so um, what's your position uh, now we're talking about France out of Africa, but so Europe needs to get out of Africa, not just France, but you know, Portuguese, Germany, all of that, and the neo-colonial black puppets. You know, Dr. West is hard now to figure out who's, you know, right in terms of Africa. Who can you If you could talk about that and the BRIC, remember the BRIC conference that's occurring oh, yeah. in South Africa and how the Brazil, you know, China, Russia, some countries now are going against the IMF, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, which was established in 1944 at the Brenton Wood uh, Conference. Now there's a global move, you know, against that, and central banks coming up attacking global capitalism. So if you can give us a piece on that, I'd appreciate it. Now, see, one one of the uh, major themes of my campaign is to uh, become head of the empire in order to dismantle the empire. There you go. It's like I tell tell my wife all the time, you see, that, that uh, if and when we win, I'm not going to the White House till everybody has the house. Mm. <laughs> We're going to abolish homelessness before the president moves into this nice house built by black slaves gotcha. and still keeping it white. Hey, 
Mm -hmm. No, we got to tell the truth. And so it is in Africa. I was blessed to write the new introduction, the 60th anniversary of France Fanon's Wretched of the Earth just two years mm -hmm. ago. And it's still the classic that remains laying out the truths. He talked about the ways decolonization is going to be the major historical process of the 20th century is absolutely right. But you remember that chapter, the pitfalls of national consciousness mm -hmm. and the forms of neo-colonial leadership where yep. black leaders come in, they do not speak to the needs of their own black poor, their own African working classes. They become, they create alliances with international capital too often they fall into corruption because they get caught in the same kind of thing that our black middle-class leadership in electoral politics too often gets caught in. Not all, but too often. I mean, all of them, not Charles Inez or Harold Washington or Adam Clayton Powell. No, those are the exceptions. Most of the folk getting in that is so scared and intimidated and so glad being there on a kowtow and break dance and laughing when it ain't funny and scratching when it don't itch in order for them to keep their position. Hey, oh. where's the courage? Where's the self-respect? Don't slap your grandmama in the face in the grave just because you want to sell out. Mm. So it is with the neo-colonial elites in Africa. Right. When I went to South Africa, Brother Cyril was, was head of the uh, trade union movement. I had to go underground with Alan Bozak and company, but we met him underground. This cat was putting his life on the line. He was a serious freedom fighter. Then, boom, 1994, emancipation sets in. He moves into the higher echelons of the economic elites, becomes a billionaire. Next thing you know, he's another black neoliberal leader. Yep. That's right. That's what he is now. But one thing that I do agree with him on is he knows that the American empire is in decline and decay. He knows, in fact, that de-dollarization is taking place. He knows that there's organized forces against America's attempt to dominate the whole world. That's in part what BRICS is about. That's right. So BRICS is a heterogeneous, heterogeneous group. India and Brazil and South Africa want to play it both ways. They want to be with America, tied to the international corporate interests, and then also act as if they're in solidarity. Whereas the other nations saying, no, we want redistribution of goods from that 1%, not just nationally, but internationally, because too many of our people are suffering. And of course, when it comes to the ecological crisis, in terms of those who are bearing most of the brunt of the ecological collapse and catastrophes, are going to be the vulnerable, both here as well as around the world. But the military presence of Africa, that yeah. Obama and the others expanded, you see, that's right. uh, becomes very, very important here. And that's part of what's happening in, uh, in West Africa, that the people are just so fed up yeah. with the neo-colonial elites that they're trying to push them out under any circumstances because their conditions are just so overwhelmingly uh, socially miserable, but they still got spirit. They right. still got spirit. We've seen the same thing in Haiti. Mm -hmm. same well, thing well Haiti. Dr. West, I tried to make this conversation like you and I talk in private. We have many, many conversations, so I just wanted to like have open up our private conversations with the public. You shared so, so many uh, thoughtful things, and we in Operation Power, we have a process for endorsing candidates. So even though I love you, you have not been endorsed yet. Uh -huh. We got to come to our meetings 
and and after hearing all of this, and we will make a decision because um we we we're going from the lesser to evils, and we're gonna go with this one because we got to stop that one. Uh, now in Operation Power, we're trying to raise to another level. If you're not anti-capitalist, if you're not anti-imperialism, if you're not for the freedom of political prisoners of war, and, and if you're not for reparations, and if you're not for the empowering of our people on a local level, uh, don't even come our way. So you definitely are welcome to come our way, but we will be going over that. So with that, I want to do one last thing. Any closing, five-minute closing piece that you want us to say, and then Inez is going to have a Quran uh, Brent and Brenda do a response to this, and then we're going to open it up to the people to ask questions from their chat. Thank you so much, my brother. Appreciate uh, you. I'm just, I'm just blessed to be here and just pray for me. Uh, you know, I stand in the need of prayer. I got a whole lot of gangster in me. You know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a lot of gangster in me. I need some serious prayer. The gangster for I met Jesus, and now I'm a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivity. <laughs> Whatever way you come down, just keep me in your prayers. But we'll move right into the, the, the question and answer. That'd be beautiful. Yes, go ahead, Emma. Uh, thank you, Dr. West. We appreciate you taking the time. We know you're running a national campaign. And for you to devote time to come and talk to us is great. But it's a reflection of what you said about being organic, being in touch with the people, not being uh, distant and getting in and having those kinds of influences that don't reflect what it is that the people are feeling and needing. But just one brief comment that I wanna to make to you uh, before I ask the respondents to have their input. You spoke about, of course, the direct actions that you would take in terms of releasing and freeing political prisoners and you even named some of them directly. We know that the uh, position of president is an executive one. And we know that there's a legislative and of course the judicial branches. But as the executive, what do you see are some of the executive orders that you would issue in regards to the situations that we're facing as a people? And you did talk about classes, uh, all kinds of classes and ethnicities and gender as well. And particularly, do you think that there's an executive order that you might issue addressing the uh, inadequacies and the uh, injustices that we see in the education system. As you know, education is my heart. That's my gift, yes. teaching. So yes. just generally, what kind of executive orders would you, would you look to uh, issue, particularly as we talk about uh, education? Mm, no, no, I appreciate that, though. You're so right about education. Two things right away that the president can use executive order to cancel student debt across the board and to push toward tuition-free education. Now you use your bully pulpit and you use executive order, but keep in mind again, now see this campaign is just one moment in the movement. Right. If the movement is not strong outside, Right then I'm not going to have as much wiggle room as I like because I'm going to be swinging like Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and Ella Fitzgerald. And don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be, you got to be swinging in there. But you have to have movement forces right. bringing power and pressure to bear because we can actually engage in some serious educational reform without having to go through 
the Congress. See, because the Congress is not going to go with me at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. They're going to say, oh, Brother West, you're an imperial president. You're a dictator. Mm. I said, serving the people. I'm not serving myself. A dictator serves themselves. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm trying to do all I can within the executive branch to ensure that massive investment in education. I want Medicare for all. I'm with Brother Bernie on that, right? And I want to make sure there's decent housing, social housing, public housing, and so forth. I want to make sure that the mental, those who are mentally ill get high quality treatment. And, 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 and that it can't be fully done, but you can move in significant directions just by means of executive order. Thank you. And uh, just want to, again, thank you for coming and spending time and in terms of defining winning as in part witnessing what is the witness that you bring to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And with that, we have two respondents from Operation Power. And I will start with my sister, Brenda Walker, co-chair of Operation Power. Wonderful, wonderful. This, um, I'm, this, is, this of course, is an honor for me. Um, you caught me on the love thing. And I just want to say love is the highest frequencies. Frequencies are required. I'm reading this um, quote. Frequencies are required by our body to maintain its balance. Everything in this world comprises of energy and every energy vibrates as a specific energy frequency, including us. These frequencies have different effects on us depending on the type of energy, energy frequency it is. And the energy of the earth vibrates at 528 hertz frequency is the same the, um, which is the same frequency of love and this is the universal healer so when you mention love everything comes out of love everything that we do is the highest power and yeah. everything we do is out of love the whole uh black uh black panther party moved out of love it started as community and the love of the community love of the people feeling the needs that we had as a people and that things that were lacking, it all grew out of love. So when you mentioned love, it just really hit my heart and I'm a mother. So it resonated with me so highly because I never, never heard any of our presidents talking from the place of love. So mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, really hit my heart. I, I love it. I love I love you and what you stand for. It's also, um, it also rep- rep- represents transformation and repair to our DNA. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, you are fighting a hell of a battle because we are dealing with, um, oh my God, not wolves in sheep's clothing. We're just dealing with wolves, period. They like they and we're in a we're in a time right now where we know capitalism is on a decline. We got the bricks coming after us, <laughs> so you know we know what that represents. So you know I salute you, and you know, sorry he got my vote. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, but I, I, but I, I send the love right back, my dear sister. I, I can I can feel your soul. I can feel your spirit. I mean, in so many ways, and again, Inez and Charles know this so intimately that the uh, the highest form of love in many ways is to give one's life and death in that regard, you see. And black love is a crime in a white supremacist world. So anybody who loves black people deeply has to get ready to die. 
Mm. There's just no way around. And all of our great black love warriors have been willing to die. And many of them have been killed. And you say to yourself, if all the powers that be, if all they can do is kill us, mm. then they're not as strong as they think they are because there'll be thousands and thousands to come after. That's right. There'll be thousands and thousands who are built on what they think are ashes, but coming back stronger and stronger and stronger. And so in that sense, that tradition goes on and we understand ourselves as mortal, mortal moments in a great tradition of a great black people. And that's what scares them. That's what scares them. So I, I, I salute you. See, love and black love is unstoppable. It's unsuffocatable. They can't understand why we still smile and walk around with style today after 400 years of hatred and terror and trauma. How y'all do it? Well, we don't do it by ourselves. Ask our grandmamas, ask our granddaddies, ask oh, our man. uncles, ask our mamas, ask our cousins. Ask our musicians, ask our painters, ask some of our politicians like the band. Now, there's other politicians who are getting in the way. We've been talking about that too. We will hear that. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to next move to our next respondent. That's Brother Karan Allen. And uh, Brother Karan, go right ahead. Thank you so much, Mrs. Barron. Dr. West, uh, I don't think there was anything that you did not say in your entire presentation. Uh, you literally turned over every stone and added some sauce to it uh, all the way through and through. So I am so grateful for everything that you shared. Um, yeah, I'll get them. So grateful for everything that you shared in your presentation. Uh, Mr. Barron, you did an excellent job of flowing questions in and out that allowed us to kind of hear a bit more about what Dr. West uh, was presenting on. Um, so, so some of the things that stood out to me, because I was writing some things down on my little notepad here, and I was just like, you know, the thing that kept coming to me, why why right now? Why right now, Dr. West? And a lot, a lot of it was getting, you know, answered as we moved on. One of the things that popped out was the whole entitlement to black people that yes. the Democratic Party specifically has an entitlement to black people. And Mr. Barron has said this as well. You know, you don't have any votes already. How am I? How is he taking votes? The, the election hasn't happened. That doesn't make any sense. So that sort of like ownership plantation mindset with us really, you know, that hit home why right now is the top. Um, and you know, going through, I, I wrote down some of your quotes, some of the things that you just underscored, that intoxication with the facilities of bourgeois existence, uh, that one more brings to me the context of the class situation amongst Black people and how that proximity to power uh, becomes a measuring tool that the system puts before us about how good we're doing, while we can't find a place to live, while we can't find food that's affordable to eat, while we can't, you know, get the same treatment of most people. So I, I you, the way you, you sauced up the words really drove home so many points where I'm trying to, un, where I was more or less trying to connect my, um, my, my mind to so that I can regurgitate this back to my family. Because those, mm -hmm. those are the folks I got to organize. And beyond my family, my friends, you know, the folks on the street, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess where I'll where I close in my response, um, and me and Mr. Barron had this conversation last night, 
how can this campaign be used as an instrument to organize locally? Because in Operation Power, that's what we believe. We believe that sort of change happens from the bottom up. Like, And how can we be in partnership uh, with you, Dr. West, so that we can organize locally and also assist your campaign? Ooh, I tell you. Ooh, you and Sister Brenda on the love train in a profound way. We're going to bring back the OJs and just play the song for a little while. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what I mean by that is that uh, we always have to talk about how we translate our vision. How do we execute what we see so that we connect what we feel and what we hear through how we act courageously and compassionately. And so on the one hand, that within the next oh, 12 months or so, and, and this is independent of any kind of endorsement, because for me, you know, the, I mean, the endorsement is, it, is not the main thing by any stretch of imagination. I'll follow the barons off a cliff and defy Newton's law of gravity. You see what I mean? Because I know them, you see? And character and integrity are just so much deeper than anything else. So that, so that, for example, we should do something with Operation Power in Brooklyn together, no matter what, just together. Very much like what we're doing now, we try to do that. People can see this is an institution and infrastructure that has been tr proven, tried and true over time that embodies the very things that I'm trying to talk about on the local level. So, so we have a concrete engagement, no matter what. And we have that kind of deep, deep, genuine solidarity, no matter what. I think in addition though, I also want to say that, um, you know, it, 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 it's interesting how people change and people can be very fickle and gullible. See, the Black Panther Party in the 1960s, one of the things they did was they changed the culture of young folk. See, when you go to a party on Friday night and ask the sister to dance to the Mighty Dells, and she raised a question about Angela Davis and you didn't know who she was, she probably ain't gonna dance with you though, man. <laughs> <laughs> because, because it became cool to be part of this. Am I telling the truth? Yes. <laughs> it, it became cool to be part of the struggle. That's right. It, 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 by cool, all I meant was courage became cool. Huey Newton made courage cool. Shoot me, I stand for the people. I'm willing to die for the people. Who is this black man? He didn't lost his mind. No, that's cool to love the people like that. And that takes off. You see what I mean? And so one of the ways in which the concrete organizing, organic, the use of dynamic language on the ground is to create whole new conceptions of what black genius and black talent is when it's cool and hip, loving the people and serving the people. And that's the very thing that is the major threat of the powers that be. Mm. When I made my three albums with Prince and Gerald LeBert and Khalid Talib Kweli and Jill Scott and so forth, we went to six different labels and Clive Davis and all them talking about, we don't want this freedom crap, we want G-string music. Ah, they didn't want freedom music to be cool. They didn't want a soundtrack to yeah. struggle for freedom. They wanted a soundtrack for body stimulation and titillation yeah. to keep people escaping from 
and not engaging in what really matters. Mm. And of course, music is so very important, so they dumbed down our music. I was blessed to write a song with a genius named Fuzzy Collins on his album, <laughs> Funk Capital of the World. We wrote two songs on that album, but one was called Freedom, F-R-E-E-D-U-M. Mm. Use your freedom to dumb down things. Mm. Mm. To use your freedom to be a coward. Mm. To use your freedom to be a conformist. Mm. Hey, people didn't fight for freedom for you to choose, anybody to choose to be a coward. They were courageous in order for us to keep going with that courageous thing. And Bootsy laid it out. We won't go into Bootsy's genius right now. But mm. Bootsy laid it out. We did the record right there in his, in his, in his, uh, in his studio. But that's also part of organizing on the ground because you have to always, my dear brother, always connect the spiritual and the social, the personal and the political, the economic and the existential. By existential, I mean issues of human existence, death, dread, despair, disappointment, disillusionment, disenchantment. Every human being has to be equipped to deal with that, but you still got to deal with the structures and the institutions. You still got to deal with the history of those institutions, but in the end, you got spiritual issues. What kind of person you're going to be? What kind of integrity you're going to hold on to? Thank you, brother, so much. We appreciate that. And uh, at this point, we're going to go to our text. We want to always acknowledge the people behind the scenes that keep us running and to Karan and Brenda to engage with the Q&A. So I will pass it back over. I think it goes to Karan. Yes. So uh, good afternoon again, everyone. If we can give our uh, behind the scenes clap and applause. Yes for Dr. West, for Mr. and Mrs. Barron, uh, for facilitating this wonderful dialogue that we've had, um, for our tech hosts in the, in the background. I just wanna also give it up for Kalima Johnson and Jabril Jallo, who um, have kept us moving seamlessly through this program. Um, I do, uh, we're now going to be moving into our Q&A portion uh, where we're going to ask for everyone to put questions in the chat. I know there's been a series of questions in the chat thus far. Um, I'm going to ask Brenda to also come onto the virtual stage. Um, there she is. Okay. So uh, Brenda, we're gonna pivot to you um, for the questions. Uh -huh. um, so if you scroll up, there's a, a series of them, but for folks who have not put any questions in the chat thus far, we ask that you use the chat, um, it is open. Um, so I see a question. There we go. From, uh, I see a lot of preach, Dr. West, preach. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that. Um, so I see Dr. West considering the electoral college, how would this impact the third party party seeing their system is specifically designed for the two party system? And that's from KB. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have ranked choice voting or proportional representation. 
I wish the electoral college were abolished too, just like poverty. Uh, but it means then that certain states, Arizona, Wisconsin, Florida, have much more weight than other states. Uh, and, and we have to be you know, mindful of that in terms of how we go about um, uh, forging our, our movement in the form of a campaign. But we have to you know, deal with the way it is right now. And it means then that we have to just go full blast. We have to go full blast, tell the truth, seek the justice, bear the witness, uh, but recognize those are the constraints. That's another sign of ways in which the American oligarchy is able to reproduce itself with often anti-democratic means, fearful even of the popular vote. The popular vote doesn't mean you win. So I, I, I hear that question and uh, I wish we had massive campaign reform, campaign financing along with the abolition of the electoral college and, and the uh, ranked choice voting, but, but we don't at the moment. But thank you so much for that, for that question. I, I'll try to be much, much shorter because I know it's gonna be running late. We have another question from my comrade, Sam Anderson. I wanna say a happy belated birthday to my brother, Sam Anderson, Dr. Sam Anderson. He would like to um, say thank you very much um, for this forum, of course. And he would like to ask, this is- um, That was from Rosemary. Oh, it's from Rosemary. Okay, are we Sam? <laughs> okay. Oh, brother Sam. Oh, it's so good to see Sam's face right there. Good Sorry. God. So, okay, so let me ask the question. Okay, Sister Claudia de la Cruz just announced her presidency campaign along with Sister Karina Garcia as a VP and are running on the party for socialism and liberation ticket. Your platform seems similar, except both are avowed socialists. Have you been in contact with either and would you consider any dialogue? Yes, this is from Sister Rosemary Wheelie. Oh, I love to be in dialogue with them, very much so. No, I've been a democratic socialist for almost 60 years uh, so that I, I know I can learn something from them. I'd love to be in dialogue with them. But I do want to take a special moment to salute Brother Sam, though. He's been one of the great long-distance runners, freedom love fighters and, and, and love warriors. And we go back, I can't even count the number of years we, we go back, but I can see he's strong, strong as ever. Definitely strong as ever. Now, now you know, I've got a Zoom though at uh, at, at 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 eleven o'clock, um, but I, I'm I'm pushing them back a little bit. But I just want to say as much as I want to follow the spirit, I, I have another Zoom at 11, eleven. I'm in California, so that you all are what it's. Uh, we're we're at almost two o'clock, so we don't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You so much this was just um this was an honor and um i don't know y'all which y'all which i think y'all you know gotta get the boots on and start walking so we can support brother cornell west <laughs> so i think um inez and charles want to say something well, i think i see joy's hand up okay just a quick one oh. from joy yes greetings this is joy simmons thank you so much everyone for this awesome awesome presentation. Um, and thank you, uh, uh, Dr. West. Um, I have a question. Um, I read an article that um, about a rethinking, you know, amongst what's happening um, on the continent um, with the different, um, you know, turnovers in government, so-called coups or, you know, military takeovers or whatever you want to call it, um, that this so-called 
We lost you, Joy. Two-party oh, system yeah. where women's are elected, you know, a, an electoral turnover every few years um, may not necessarily be a model that really works in the long run. So I know that you, you know, you're within the system um, and we're all within the system. And so it's, so in a sense, if we want to engage the system, you know, we participate in a certain aspect of what's already been institutionalized. But did you have any, do you have any thoughts on um, that, you know, maybe another kind of governance structure may be better? Um, like, for example, I've read that, you know, maybe having elect, maybe instead of elections, um, it could be like more of a lottery system where, you know, it's not necessarily people, oh, right, but right. they say, okay, well, it's just, you know, let's just do a lottery and that, and then have to put everything in that person to run. So I know it sound it may sound like, you know, it can't work unless it's elections every four years and a turnover and the president, but some countries, you know, have had a leader in a long period of time and has been successful. Um, so just wanted to get your input mm -hmm. on that. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I want to be open to all different views that make sure that they're empowering poor working people. That's the bottom line for me. Uh, but again, you know, you got to have people of character and integrity who are willing to be fundamentally committed to that. And that itself is not a matter of just elections. That's a matter of making sure that those people are available to be of service. I want to take a peek at that piece that, that, that you, you were talking about. Because I think that um, in the end, I mean, some kind of socialist organization of the economy is going to be required. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced of that. Uh, but in, in addition, you know, we just got to keep our self-defense, self-respect, and our self-determination at the center of any of our politics. Well, you know, at this point, we're going to release Dr. West so he can honor his other commitments. Yeah. We want to thank all of you who attended today. It was a very fruitful discussion. I want to also I have all of you in your prayers. Please remember our brother, um, the brothers and sisters that are in prison, of course, but our brother Sekou Odinga, who's having some health struggles at this point. So make sure you remember brother Sekou in your prayers. And we were at the memorial for Matulu Shakur yesterday and his son Talib Shakur and the rest of his family was there. It was a wonderful memorial for Matulu. So you remember his spirit as he goes to join his wife, Afani Shakur, and his beloved son, Tupac Shakur. So they're united in heaven now. They'll probably stop by a Betty Shabazz and Malcolm's Celestial. Oh, Lord, yeah. Take their rest. Hey, oh, Lord, so, yeah. uh, we want to thank all of you for, for coming out, and we're going to end it at this point because we try to end that too. It's 2.03, so we're only three minutes over. But thank you so much. And Dr. West, we'll be continuing talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing, caring, and loving. Mm -hmm. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, Agnes. Love, love you, you much. Love all of you. Stay, Stay strong. Stay in good health. We pulling and praying for each other. Yes. And join us again. Join us again in two weeks on September 23rd for another Operation Power program. We thank you all and 